Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you again for joining us in the Innovation Institute online education and training series in sexual medicine. Today, we will be talking about hot flashes and vaginal dryness. I'm Dr. Michael Critchman. On behalf of Innovation Compounding, I want to thank you all for joining us today for this uh, very informative um, webinar. This is a little bit of background from me. I'm an OBGYN. I'm also a certified sexual counselor. I've spent the past two and a half decades dealing with menopausal women who have had chronic medical conditions, whether it is um, malignancy or other chronic conditions that have impacted them as well. So today we'll be looking at comprehensive management looking at a variety of different therapeutic options for both uh, hot flashes and vaginal dryness as well. So what is the scope of the problem? You know, I think the numbers really are staggering. There's over 50 million women who are over 50, the average age of menopause 51.3, and the majority of women between 50 and 55 are menopausal. That's notwithstanding that hysterectomies are still quite prevalent and more and more of them are including removal of the ovaries. And again, with another staggering uh, statistic is about 70% of women who have hot flashes, which can be considered severe and debilitating are not receiving treatment. And 6,000 women enter menopause on a daily basis in the United States. So really interesting that if you're not seeing menopausal women, you will. Uh, and if you are, then we have to effectively look at hot flashes and vaginal dryness as well. Um, you can see here from this slide that it, we call it menopausal syndrome, really a constellation of symptomatology and hot flashes may even begin in the perimenopause or even the 10 year period before the actual stop of the period for 12 consecutive months. We also see that they have urogenital symptoms like vaginal dryness and atrophy and painful intercourse and this mushrooms over into the effect of affecting sexual activity, arousal and uh, libido as well. And again, very important to address the both the short-term and long-term consequences for um, these issues related to deprivation of estrogen and androgen over time. So let's turn our attention to hot flashes and flushes. And again, this is really a sudden transient sensation of intense warmth. Uh, you may have an emotional response and it is often associated with a chill. It's very important to actually ask the impact of these hot flashes, and it's not really correlative to frequency. So you can have one woman who has three or four hot flashes, and these are not um, these are severely, severely impactful. And you can have women that have 20 to 30, and they're not impactful. So again, the subjective experience certainly very, very important. Um, there is a small percentage of women who will have hot flashes for greater than 10 years. And again, a small percentage will have debilitating hot flashes that were, are really impactful. So again, um, assessing the quantity, the quality, and the subjective experience of what a woman is experiencing when she has a hot flash is certainly very important to overall assessment. The highest frequency of hot flashes are in the first two years. They decline thereafter, and some persist for um, at least 10 years. 
So I think that's really important to recognize different ethnicities may have an impact and the sudden impact of surgical removal of the ovaries may also be problematic. We know that about 60% of all breast cancer patients have hot flashes and these may be associated with their medication uh, or as a result of ovarian suppression or premature menopause. So again, um, the majority of my patients certainly have a malignancy diagnosis, but early age of menopause certainly associated with more severe and potentially more debilitating uh, issues. This is the really the anatomy. You have an increased core, increased skin blood pressure and heart rate, intense feeling of heat, uh, reddening of the upper body. You may have an increase in heart rate, skin blood flow. You may have sweating, and then it's associated with a chill. And really, this is a really associated with the uh, thermoregulatory zone located centrally that has been impacted by the loss of estrogen as a woman transitions through menopause. There are a variety of different contributing factors. And again, uh, remember that these are triggers that may impact. So again, this can be used as part of your therapeutic regimen. Uh, you know, sometimes medications can cause it. Um, diseases and, and conditions certainly need to be evaluated. And really remember that estrogen levels are not really predictive of the hot flash frequency or severity. So there's no real clinical utility of measuring your estradiol levels. Um, remember, there's a negative perception. There is a lot of fear about systemic hormones, and many women uh, choose to uh, be involved with non-hormonal um, alternatives, and we'll look at these in turn. But again, they really have been trying to manage their hot flashes on their own. They may layer their clothes. They may drink cold um, cold liquids. They may look to avoid certain triggers like alcohol, caffeine, or spicy food, but there's limited utility for this. But women on their own really want to try and impact the frequency and severity of their hot flashes. Um, this slide, we're not going to go in great detail, but there is just a, a, a good understanding that the cost of not treating hot flashes is severe, both for the patient and the impact on her activities of daily living, her productivity at work and what have you. And again, you can peruse these uh, numbers at your leisure, but again, the cost of doing nothing is really severe when it comes to hot flash management. Here is a, a, you know, a general consensus of what we look at in terms of hot flash management. We talk about HT alternatives, hormone therapy alternatives, how we can manage hot flashes without hormones. And there's listed here, whether it's nutrition, diet, exercise, rhythmic breathing, yoga, mindfulness, herbs, or what have you. And again, this side on the left-hand side, really limited data, scientific, randomized, control trials to show their utility. On the right-hand side, we have uh, medications and the gold standard is hormone therapy. There's also alternatives that are considered off-label, whether they're SSRIs, SNRIs, neural medications. And Brisdel is a low peroxetine salt, which is actually approved. It's the only non-hormonal medication approved for the treatment of hot flashes. So again, very interesting when you examine the evidence. 
Let's look at uh, hormone therapy alternatives. So there is some evidence about relaxation, mindfulness, and acupuncture. We have an acupuncture program here uh, at my um, center. And again, mixed evidence about yoga. And there's no substantial evidence, really, if you look at this whole comprehensive list. But again, I think you need to individualize. And many women find specific benefits. You also have to remember that there is a whole variety of herbs and supplements out there and really important to read the fine print because women may say they want to avoid hormones, but many of these products contain hormone-like um, additives. Relizin is the purified pollen extract of the Swedish flower. And again, this is the number one um, non-hormonal uh, that is used in Europe for uh, the management of hot flashes. We talked about mindfulness, and again, this is very important. There's a whole list of uh, diseases that it may be associated with, including depression, anxiety, uh, even cancer recurrence, and again, uh, some data to support that mindfulness may be helpful when you're managing hot flashes as well. ACOG looked at hormonal therapy and they came out with this evidence that soy, black cohosh, red clover, Mexican yam um, did not significantly reduce hot flashes comparatively to placebo. So again, remember to examine the evidence just because something is out there and available doesn't necessarily mean that it is uh, and, it, and it has shown effective uh, utility for the treatment and management of hot flashes. We do know that there is a lot of evidence, venlafaxine or effexor, Lexapro, gabapentin, and oxybutynin. There is emerging data to support that these certainly have a therapeutic benefit. Uh, however, remember with every positive, there may be associated negative, and again, uh, SSRIs may be associated with sexual problems. Uh, my general cocktail is usually venlafaxine in the morning because it's more uplifting. Um, and then gabapentin at night. But oxybutynin also, uh, for a woman who may have some urinary issues or urinary incontinence may also be a good choice as well. Again, these are off-label and unapproved, but again, emerging data to support their use and utility in the treatment of menopausal hot flashes. What about hormones? And again, there is a constellation of organizations. We're not going to go into great depth about hormones, but remember that there is new dogma. You must start within 10 years of menopause. There is difference between early versus late start. Again, the duration has to be individualized and discussed and documented and consented with the patient. You have to consider all options and really follow these people very carefully. I see my patients every six months because, you know, history changes, risks change, chronic conditions change. So again, we really need to be careful and monitor these people on a regular basis. We know we are now looking at new terminology, estrogen therapy. Really, it's about uh, systemic for women who do not have a uterus. Uh, we have estrogen and progesterone or progestin uh, therapy. And again, um, the progesterone agent is added to estrogen therapy to protect women with a uterus against endometrial cancer. So it's unopposed estrogen. Bioidentical hormones are really the misnomer. It's really about what the body makes. So estradiol and progesterone are considered bioidentical. You can get these by FDA approved medications and you can also compound them as well.
there are certainly a lot of resources that are available. And again, um, you know, the NIH, the NAMS, North American Menopause Society, ACOG, Nurse Practitioners Women's Health, the International Menopause Society as well are all good resources for both hot flashes and vulvovaginal atrophy or GSM as well. So I think, you know, I'll conclude right now with just saying the art of medicine is to cure sometimes to relieve often and comfort always. And again, recognizing that menopausal hot flashes and vaginal dryness have far reaching implications on the woman as she ages. And she's going to spend about 40%, 30 to 40% of her lifetime in the menopausal uh, years. And again, this is a really a time for her to be vital uh, really enjoy life as well. And hot flashes and vaginal dryness should not uh, keep her from experiencing life to its ultimate fullest. Thank you very much. And I appreciate the opportunity to meet with you today. Uh, and again, look for more series that are uh, planning for the Innovation Compounding Institute. Thank you so much and have a wonderful afternoon.